The spirit of religiosity, lesson five, the therapeutic goal of religiosity. So in general, the modern church has given over to the spirit of religiosity by becoming therapeutic to the attendees to this, of the assembly. Therapeutic. By accommodating to the desires of the public, church services of these organizations, and I'm trying not to call them churches because when you have just a gathering and assembling and you're not really honoring God, is it really a church? These church services, quote, of these organizations are now the feel-good injections of false hope and half-truths that do not change the people looking for the true hope and full of truth of God and His Word. The word therapeutic means producing a useful or favorable result or effect. Well, we know for modern churches, the useful or favorable result or effect is for you to keep coming back and putting your money in there. Not for you to change, just for you to keep putting your money in there and you keep coming so they can brag about how many people they have. There are people like this almost everywhere that I go. There are some pastors because not every pastor is a true pastor and called by God and ordained by God. They're hirelings. And so you see this, and I've, I've witnessed this time and time again, even in my two and a half years of pastoring almost, I've seen this time and time again. Because their favorable, their useful and favorable result or effect is not seeing people born again and walking with God. It's seeing people in their house, people in their assembly, and people giving money. I hate to bear, be the bearer of bad news, but I have to, I have to say what, I'm, what I see. I have, to call, I have to call fruit, judge fruit, and be accurate. And if we're not careful, we'll let these things speak to us, and we'll be no different. We'll become religious very quick, and we've quit walking with God, but yet we haven't quit going to church. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us. He doesn't care if you go to church. He doesn't want your life changed by the Word of God. So finishing out our definition here, having an effect on the mind or the body. That is what therapeutic means. Having an effect on the mind or the body. Nowhere does it say soul or spirit. That's what therapeutic means. Why do you go to therapy? To help your body and to help your mind. It's not really to help your soul because if you needed help with your soul, you'd seek after God. If you needed a change in the spirit, man, you'd go after God. You'd go after His Word. But see, when we have these therapeutic goals, we're only after the body and the mind. So part of this demon's ability to use therapeutic methods accommodates anything the body or the mind desires. So in other words, it's not really even what's good for you, it's what you desire. <laughs> Some therapeutic changes. I did not make this list up. I looked up this list of just modern characteristics of certain churches. Anyway, number one, no offense in messages. No negative aspects. It's all positive. It's all a false feel-good. Removing the necessity of salvation and holiness. Fewer crosses or steeples. Praise God, we have a steeple. And praise God, we have a cross right here for everybody to see. And if you ever notice, that is the one light in this church we never turn off. Because I never want the light behind the cross of this church to ever go out. You may think, well, well... I don't know why they leave that light on. There's a purpose and a reason. I don't care how much it costs me in electricity. I don't care. I'll be glad to pay it. 
just to make a statement that the light will never go out in this church. That we stand behind the cross and we're going to light up what Jesus has done for us. And we're not going to back down. We're not going to have dark corners. We're going to make sure the things of God shine bright in this region. If nobody else does. <laughs> Amen. I might have to edit this out, but if you can't get in line with that vision, please leave. If you cannot get in line with that vision, please leave. You can either repent and make me your pastor and make this your church and get back in line with God, or you can leave. Because as I preached so many times, God was training your replacement. So fewer crosses or steeples. Removal of communion. Appealing to the unchurched. Secular appearance and activities. We want to reach out and have evangelism to bring in the unchurched to the house of God for them to be born again, for them to be discipled. But what the appealing to the unchurched means that they have a secular appearance. You dumb down, calm down, and cool down everything of the house of God so that way people feel more comfortable. Last time I checked, we're not to calm down anything. We're not to dumb down anything. We're not to have the down standard. We're to have the up standard. <laughs> Amen. So we're not to dumb down things. We're to build up the things of God. Even Paul, which I believe wrote the book of Hebrews, even he says, not laying again the foundation of Jesus Christ, but we build up on top of it. So that's an upward calling. Even the Bible says an upward calling, not a dummying down, not a backward standard, not a drawback unto perdition, which the Bible warns us not to do, but we're to go upward. From faith to faith, from glory to glory. So how can you do that if you're going back, reverting back to secular appearances and activities? <laughs> you can't. Because that's therapeutic, and we're not called to be therapeutic. We're called to be holy and clean before our God. There's a focus on videos, music, drama, or other arts that are secular in nature. <laughs> Adding exercise gyms, spas, locker rooms, etc., there are some people that add exercise gyms and spas and locker rooms to their facility as what is called a church, but it's really not. It's just a campus. You know, campus is not a Christian word. Campus is a secular word. Campus means you have everything at your disposal so you can just learn and sit under somebody who's just giving you a presentation. Not benefiting your life. That's what campus means. Well, how do you know, Pastor? Because the Holy Spirit said, why don't you look that word up? Hmm, okay. <laughs> so I like to be led by the Holy Spirit, so I looked the word up. It also helps that Dr. Barclay said that it was a secular word. So I thought, okay, if Dr. Barclay said campus is a secular word, so I'm going to look it up for myself and see exactly what it means. So that way when I say it, I know what I'm talking about. So a campus... You know, like a school, they have exercise gyms, spas, locker rooms. Why? To benefit the students. But most campuses are not there to learn the things of God. You learn the things of God in a church. Adding various franchises on church property. This is the one that surprised me the most. Some people will have their favorite coffee shops. Not just coffee in the foyer or in the sanctuary anymore. They buy into franchises. To run it for them. And I'm not going to call the franchise names. But there was two that are massive. That have even a restaurant. That is in with some of the churches. 
They bind to franchises. Paul in the book of Corinthians says, if you're hungry, eat at home. Because we're to be here to feast on the Word of God, not our carnalness, not, not feeding the flesh as in stuffing our bellies. Yes, we'll have a fellowship here and there as a church family. Yes, we'll celebrate things, but that's not our service. It doesn't replace our service of us honoring God. Because like right now, if we were all about the fellowship, we wouldn't have service this morning. We'd just make an all-day fellowship downstairs, do nothing but stuff our faces and laugh and joke around. But because we say, all right, you know what? We're still going to be business as usual because we're about the Father's business. We have pre-service prayer, we have Sunday school, and then we have Sunday morning service because we're more focused on the things of God and people's hearts and lives being changed by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God than we are being therapeutic to somebody's belly. Anyway, removing references to the blood of Jesus. I'll go back and hit the one I missed. Removing the necessity of tithes and offerings. And marketing Jesus in a different view rather than from the Bible. <laughs> I never will forget the first commercial I saw where they were trying to revamp Jesus' image. I thought, what in the world is this commercial? And then all of a sudden at the end they say, Jesus was this. And I'm like, uh, have they even read the Bible? Just because you try to make Jesus 21st century, just because you try to make Jesus your homeboy or make him whatever you declare that you want him to be, doesn't mean that's what he was from the Word of God. We can't change who Jesus is from the Word. Many people will try. And many people do to, to be therapy to their body and their mind. To make themselves feel better. <laughs> and many more. Because I'm like, I can't list them all. We'll just hit what we can and we'll keep moving on. <laughs> so this accommodation also includes sin while presenting a facade of Christianity. Which is exactly what this demon wants you to do. He wants you to give in to sin and then act like you're not doing anything wrong. Because it's so deceptive. When churches take on this flavor of being therapeutic, they are seeking a useful or favorable result to their motives and not to the eternal benefit of people. Although there may be an effect on the, the body or mind, eternity is based on the response of spiritual. So 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural, non-spiritual man does not accept or welcome or admit into his heart the gifts and teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, meaningless nonsense to him. You know, like when somebody says, Why do you go to church so much? Why you got to be there for this? Why you got to be there for that? Why you got to do this? Why y'all lay hands on people? Why y'all pray in tongues? That shows that they're moving in a natural mindset, that they're not being spiritual. Because this specifically says, but the natural, non-spiritual man does not accept or welcome these things. They don't welcome them. Why? Because it makes them uncomfortable. It takes away their therapeutic motives. It takes away their therapy of being able to have peace in their body and their mind, which is really not a peace. It's the peace that the world gives, which is not the peace that God gives. Because remember, even Jesus said there's, there's a distinction between what the world can offer you and what God has to offer you. So if we're not careful, we'll give in to what the world offers and sacrificing our spirit and sacrificing our eternity, sacrificing our soul all along the way. But it says, for they are folly, meaningless nonsense to him. And he is incapable of knowing them 
of progressively recognizing, understanding, and becoming better acquainted with them because they are spiritually discerned and estimated and appreciated. Oh, that's the key. When you don't appreciate your pastor, you don't appreciate your church, you don't appreciate the Word of God, the Spirit of God, why? Because you're not walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the natural, which tells off on your flesh, which means you're carnal. Well, that's just man worship. Well, to a carnal person, that's exactly what they would say. Because you know that it's bigger than just the person, it's the office. You know if you make a threat against the president, no matter who it is, they're going to come and arrest you and throw you in jail? I don't care if it's Sleepy Joe. I don't care if it's Obama. I don't care if it's Trump. I don't care who it is. You make a threat against them, they're going to come and arrest you. Because it's not about the person, it's about the office. But yet, many Christians will let others run down their pastor, run down their church, run down the Word of God, run down the Spirit of God, run down tongues, run down all these other things. Why? Because they're too carnal and don't want to walk in the spiritual. Because the spiritual doesn't pet their therapeutic desire. It doesn't fit their body. It doesn't fit their mind because they'd rather be in sin, give over their heart and their mind to everything that's sensual, everything that's carnal, and not deal with the true, the true issue of what's going on in their life. Because they're too carnal. Which essentially says they don't want help. They'd rather live in sin. They'd rather live in the carnality of their life than to give in to the things of God. Addressing the natural side of the congregation will help in some situations. You can help parenting. You can help parenting. You can help certain aspects that you can say, hey, this is a natural thing. Let me help you naturally. Okay, well, that's awesome. That will help in some situations. But carnality is not going to help get you into heaven. So really, the spiritual will help in every regard, but the natural things will only help in some. Still, there must be a change in the spirit and application of the spiritual principles to connect the eternal aspects to each individual. So I would say if the Holy Spirit does not dwell or abide in us, we are not God's people. So we got to have the spiritual aspect. So Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Hmm. That knock out a lot of Christians because they're only guided by their horniness, by their drunkenness, by their whatever you want to fill in the blank with. That's what they're guided by. That's what they walk with, not by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, I like how my pastor puts this, because I love my pastor and I listen to my pastor. He says, the Holy Spirit, if it's holy and it's within you, it should make you holy. So if you're not holy, you don't want to be holy, and you'd rather give in the therapeutic to suit your body and your mind, then what spirit are you listening to? Because it's not of God. First John tells us to try and test every spirit. To test every spirit. So that means there's other spirits, not just the Holy Spirit. And all of them have a, the Word of God says, all of them have significance in their voice. But not all, all of them are pure in their motives. The only one that's pure in the motives is the Holy Spirit. All the rest of them seek to pervert you. It says, then... And only then will say, when you live and walk by the Spirit and allow Him to guide you and control you, then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of the human nature without God. So we know that we're human. We're going to have 
sins. We're going to have issues that are going to pop up. We know that we're not going to be perfect and fail at times. But the heart of our life, the, the essence of our life is not to live in that sin and to stay there and remain. But the, the very essence of who we are says, ah, I fell for that. Father, forgive me. Cleanse me and help me. You know that's not what I desire for my life. We get, we get cleansed up and we keep walking and being guided by the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit. But it's when you follow another Spirit that gets you in trouble and then you'll keep turning and gratifying the flesh. So only focusing on the natural is not only a ploy of the spirit of religiosity, but the reason this demon desires this is to keep people from being prepared in their spiritual ability to obtain victory. That's the whole purpose is to pervert your walk with God and to keep you from getting victory. That's what this demon wants to do. Because it knows if it, can get, if it can weasel its way into your life and keep you from truly walking with God, it knows it's got you defeated. Because it's trying to make any of us in the group that says, well, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? And he says, I never knew you. That's the whole purpose of the spirit of religiosity. This demon's purpose is to make you part of that crowd. And so many people are willing to give in to it because they have this therapeutic that speaks and gratifies their body and their mind. And so they're willing to walk away from it because they say, this is more real to me, pleasing my body and my mind, than to please God. This, is, this suits me better rather than suiting God. So 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, But the spiritual man tries all things. All things. It means you don't let anything get by you. He tries all things. He examines. He investigates. He inquires into. He questions and discerns all things. <laughs> See, now this to me comes second nature because... I'm a private investigator to some regard for my job and, and have always been kind of, I don't know, like stuff like that, like TV shows, things like that, to examine and figure things out. I also have a scientific background in one of my degrees. but So this to me comes second nature, but it should be for each and every one of us when we walk in spiritual things. We examine, all right, what is this? Then we investigate, where did this come from? What's its origin? Then inquires into. That means you ask questions. How are you going to know unless you ask questions? <laughs> All the time, the boys will ask me, Daddy, where did that come from? So, well, if I don't know right off the top of my head, I whip out my phone and I start looking it up. Where did this come from? And so I'm able to give them an answer. Why? Not because I'm nosy and want to know everything, because I want to understand where it came from and tell my boys where it came from. <laughs> Do you know, just fun fact, do you know that the upside-down Christmas tree is actually a pagan thing? That's becoming a new trend where people hang a Christmas tree upside down. That's a pagan ritual is where that came from. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, I spent time looking it up because it's all of a sudden a new trend. And I thought, hmm. And as soon as somebody told me that, I was like, something doesn't feel right. Something feels off. Something feels icky. So I started looking it up, and the origins, sure enough, it's got a pagan background. What happens, this guy, I forget the country, he goes, he goes out to the woods, and he sees this group of pagans, they're worshiping at this tree, 
And so what's he do? He comes back in the middle of the night and cuts it down. And so these pagan people come back. They plant another tree. And then so he cuts it down. So they get smart aleck. So they turn it upside down and hang it upside down just to show, look, you can't cut this anymore because we've got it upside down and we're worshiping demons. And you can't touch it now. You can't cut it down because we fixed it right side. We fixed it the other way around. It was to mock this guy who was trying to keep them from worshiping demons. Oh, he must have been a pastor. Because there's nobody more disrespected than a pastor who's trying to save his sheep and trying to help them out when he's spat up on, bitten, and cussed out, cursed, and behind closed doors and talked about. Hmm. All just to keep things clean and holy. Hmm. I'll let you sort that out with God. But it says, yet is himself to be put on trial and judged by no one. Why? Because he's spiritual. He takes everything to God. Because he's already examining, investigating, inquires questions and discerns all things. So that means he's probably doing it to himself and saying, all right, God, where am I wrong? What, can I, what do I need to be fixed? What do I need to fix in my life? Where can I be fixed? So yet is himself Put, to be put on trial and judged by no one. He can read the meaning of everything, but no one can properly discern or appraise or get an insight into him. Why? Because there's really nothing to him. He's reflecting the things of God because he's being spiritual. When God's people are spiritual as God desires them to be, they examine, investigate, and question all things. This is not a paranoia. This is not paranoid. This is not, we do it as in, Oh, is somebody doing this? Somebody doing that? They start questioning everything and get start getting paranoid and freaking out over everything. But this is a judgment of fruit and motives to figure out why is this? Why is this? What's the origin of this? So we can see the heart behind it. Because many people, I know some some people that declare to be Christians, they're nut jobs. They get so paranoid about everything. They think, you know, that everybody's got you know cameras in their pictures and cameras and and their paintings and whatever's in their house and they think that everybody's watching them and so they freak out they just paranoid everywhere think somebody's watching them in their car this ain't the truman show it's not all about you we don't have a, a whole massive world that evolves around you no the enemy wants you to feel that way so you'll freak out have a mental breakdown and then lose your mind and that's not of god it's like we all love you, but you're not that important. That this, the whole center, the, you're not the center of the universe. Amen. When they are spiritual, they also have the Holy Spirit to help them in their weaknesses. We would say that's also following peace from God or not continuing from a lack of peace. So Romans eight twenty six, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So even in times when we're lacking something, the Holy Spirit makes up the difference. But that's only if you are spiritual. If you are carnal, you don't have the Holy Spirit guiding you and walking with you. And so you're just left to your own devices. These verses do not sound like therapeutic desires, but are submissive to God, reflecting a true relationship with Him. Submission. That's the opposite of therapeutic. Therapeutic is like, oh, this feels good. Submission sounds like, 
man, I don't, I don't want to hear what they got to say. I don't want to hear what they got to say because I know I'm going to have to do it. If I don't do it, I know I'll be in disobedience. <laughs> when people take on the newer ideology of religiosity, there is a belief that God wants people to be nice and happy. This next statement is going to be very damning to many Christians and many churches. This creates the therapeutic mindset that as long as people are nice, happy, and believe that God exists, they are right in God's eyes. That is not what the Word of God says. I guarantee you, you can probably think of about five or six people right now off the top of your head that believe this very thing. As long as I'm nice, as long as I'm happy, and as long as I say that God exists, I'm in right standing with my God. That He won't send me to hell. No, you'll send yourself there. Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. <laughs> We're to dwell with God. We're to walk by the Spirit. That doesn't sound like a, I believe I'm nice, I believe I'm happy, and I believe that He exists. There's a lot more depth to that. But this Spirit, this demon of religiosity, wants to keep you superficial, wants to keep you on the very top surface of being a Christian and not take you any deeper. And so many people are just enjoying being at the very top. They, they enjoy being at the very top of everything. <laughs> whether because they, they don't want to have any depth, or whether they're just too lazy, or whether it's all about them that they're on top and they just want everybody just to see the, the outer appearance and not know the inside. However you look at it, they just people like to live, some people like to live on top. <laughs> This creates a therapeutic mindset that as long as people are happy, nice, and believing that God exists, they are right in God's eyes. God did not establish His kingdom to work in this manner. Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, Pastor, what's that got to say? Why did you put that in there? Because that shows you there's going to be things that are coming against you. And coming against the demon, coming against spiritual things, doesn't always make you nice. Uh, you know, like the way that you view me most of the time. Well, he's not nice. He's just mean. Well, I'm only mean because you're in sin. Uh, if you pulled the slack out, I wouldn't have to pull it for you. If you, <laughs> if you take care of your own discipline, I wouldn't have to discipline you from the pulpit, from the Word of God. <laughs> but be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That means that there's going to be a struggle and you've got to have victory. You've got to overcome. You've got to rely on the Spirit. You've got to put on the armor of God to overcome. But yet the spirit of religiosity says, oh, you don't need that. Oh, you don't need that. You don't need to do that. You just got to be nice, be happy, and believe God exists. And that's why you'll never have victory. Because you've let this demon talk you into just being nice, happy, and believe He exists and that you'll be okay. But the Word of God tells us time and time again, we're to be soldiers of the true and living God. Now, being as a spiritual soldier and a natural soldier, battles are not easy, and battles are not always pretty, and battles don't make you nice, battles don't make you happy, but when you believe in God and you walk with God, you'll have victory and you'll overcome. He'll even set you in the presence of your enemies that you may feast. 
But without walking with him, how's he going to set a table for you? I don't know who you are. Why am I going to set a table for you? John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Where is it from? Him. You can only find peace in Jesus Christ. That's where the only true peace comes from. As we've said, the Scripture does say, not Jesus even said, that is the peace as the world gives, but I have to give you. So that means there's going to be a peace, but the, world, the, the world's peace is not true peace. It's not true what you're looking for. Here's the best way I can describe it. When someone makes love to somebody, there is a brief moment of euphoria. And when you have that, Everything else vanishes. You're on top of the world. You have that God designed it for that to be in a marriage. Not outside of marriage. Not between two of the same sex. Not with any other perverted means. But He designed that to be that pleasure for a moment. But then after that, after that goes away, what are you left with? Now you're done. It's, it's gone. You either got to repeat the process or you got to find something else to fill that void, especially when that's what you live by. If you live by the things of God, God will continue to be that support. God's content, God will continue to be that peace and that joy and bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life when you allow Him to be in your heart and in your life. He'll continue to help you produce that fruit in your, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. But when you live by gratifying the flesh, you'll live by that brief moment. And then you've got to either repeat the process, which puts you back in sin again, or you got to figure out something else. Same thing, with, same, same thing with drugs. When you do drugs, you get that high for a certain amount of time. And then as soon as you come down, you either got to repeat the process, which puts you right back in sin, or you got to find something else to fill that void. This is exactly what the spirit of religiosity does. It helps you to feel that gratification of I've done something in my flesh, and I put God's label on it, so I've got to be okay but then you, feel, then you feel defeated again. Then you feel, you feel this low. Why? Because you're not walking with God. Because you keep just coming back to that instant gratification. That's why so many modern churches will give out waters. They'll hand out food. They'll do all these other things to make themselves feel good for that brief moment. And then they've got to find another thing to do that's do-goodism. It's not really a walk with God. It just keeps circling back around to make yourself feel good. Because you know in between you're not walking with God, so you find this depression or you find this oppression that comes up on you because you're not walking with Him. But we as God's people, we've got to continually walk with Him. And we won't always feel like rainbows and sunshines every single day, but you know you're walking with a God that in, even in the middle of the storm, you have this peace knowing that God's, God's with me. He said He'd never leave me nor forsake me. I'm with Him, and I know that He's going to help take care of me because I'm praying out to Him, I'm talking to Him, I'm walking with Him, so He's not going to leave me alone, so I know that I'm going to be okay no matter what the outcome. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. That doesn't sound like you're always going to be happy. Let me give you a key term. Happy is not the same thing as joy. Happiness is a feeling. 
joy is something much bigger. I challenge you to study that out. But then he says, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Why? Because he walked with God. Even this being the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he walked with God. He had the Holy Spirit, which is, sounds like he's our example, so that's what we're supposed to do. To have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by having the Holy Spirit. So we can overcome the world because he overcame the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 57-58 But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we're to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and our labor is not in vain. That doesn't sound like nice, happy, and just believing He exists. That sounds like there's going to be things that are coming against you, and you've got to stand your ground. Don't let anything move you. And always abound in the work of the Lord. Always be doing something for God. Not out of religious means, but out of a pure heart that loves Him and is showing your relationship with God, showing how much you love Him. But you also know that your labor is not in vain when you're doing it for God. So God's people are called to be overcomers not to be given therapeutic band-aids to administer on gashing wounds. <laughs> we would have, being in the military, we'd have things where somebody would get hurt, and whether it was the drill sergeant, whether it was the sergeant you know, in big army, what we called it when he got out of basic training in AIT, one of the sergeants would always have to make a smart out of comment. Well, drink water. That was their answer for everything. <laughs> Sergeant, I got diarrhea. Drink water. Sergeant, Sergeant, my eyes bleeding. Drink water. Sergeant, I cut my foot off. Drink water. That was their answer for everything. You think that's a joke, but it's not. That's what they said to everything. But that's how many people in, in modern, especially that's bitten by this demon, that's how they treat things. People are dying and going to hell. Let's just teach them to be happy, to be nice, and believe God exists, and they'll be okay. No. That's a Band-Aid on, on a gashing wound. It's just pumping out blood. Why? Because they're hemorrhaging in life, and they're about to go to hell. Why are you going to teach them just to be nice and be happy? You're going to teach them to be happy on their way to hell? No. You teach them that Jesus Christ is the one that they need. He is the healer. He can not only heal your body, He can heal your mind, He can heal your heart, He can heal everything about you and set you on a path to eternity to go to heaven. But let's just teach them to be nice, happy, and that God exists. Mm -mm -mm. Therapeutic methods accommodate to solidify the pleasure of self as the normal method of living, but this directly opposes God and His Word. What I mean by that is when you have these therapeutic methods, when somebody's already kind of borderline not wanting to serve God anyway, you apply these therapeutic methods, and it's just going to solidify them walking away from God. That's all it's going to do. I know we're not a perfect church, but I've had people leave here, and they go to an easier church where they're just taught to be nice, happy, and believe God exists, and they're fine, and their life goes downhill. I'm not saying that everybody's got to come here. That's not what I'm saying. You need to go where God has called you to go. You need to be planted where God wants you to be planted. 
That's what matters. That's what makes the difference. But when you go to a church that just teaches you to be nice, happy, and believe God exists, you know that you're special when you've been to a church like ours and you go there, you know that you're not, you're not walking in the full truth of the gospel. But because it speaks to your body and your mind, you're willing to sacrifice that truth to have that pleasure. Because many more people would rather live by their body and their mind than in the things of God. So the enemies of this therapeutic goal of religiosity are marked as standing in the way of people's happiness. So in other words, I'm your first target. I'm standing in the way of you being happy. Not you walking in the fruit of the Spirit. I'm the one that is standing between you and being happy. So in other words, I'm the one standing between you and your sin. That's the reason I have the biggest mark on me. I'll gladly take that mark if I can have any opportunity for you to become unspiritually retarded and walk and turn back to the things of God and make it right with Him. I'll gladly take every knife in the back. I'd gladly take every bite mark. I'd gladly take every gunshot in my reputation just to see you make heaven. See if your little feel-good preacher will say that to you. Because I guarantee you won't. So go ahead. Stab me in the back. If you want to leave, leave. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you feel, think that you're right with God, you go ahead and do it. Because I can't stop you. Everybody in here except for my two children are all adults. And you'll have what you want. But you'll know every step along the way, you're going to hear my voice and you're going to see my face preaching behind this pulpit. And it's going to make you mad. It's going to turn up that anger toward me because I'm the one standing in between you and your happiness of your sinful life. Because you'd rather have the therapeutic methods of this demon than to have the truth of God. With this in mind, the attack of religiosity is, as previously discussed in Lesson 4, are the motives behind such actions against the true people of God. 2 Timothy 4.2, just a refresher in case you missed it. Herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by, be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable. Sounds like every time I preach. Whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Sounds like every time we come to church. Whether it's welcome or unwelcome. That sounds like my ordinary life. Because <laughs> I get a lot of people that are, they'll, they'll say something in front of me and then I'll just give them the word. And then they just get mad. Why? Because I know that they're probably not wanting it welcomed. They're not welcoming the truth. But the truth sometimes will hurt and it will hopefully change their life to make them think of the truth of God. Anyway. But you as a preacher of the Word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. So in other words, I'm just doing my job. And convince them, rebuking and correcting, warning and urging and encouraging them, being unflagging and inexhaustible. So in other words, you can't move me. You're not going to move me. <laughs> unflagging and inexhaustible. In patience and teaching. So looking at this verse displays how the therapeutic methods of religiosity go directly against the Word of God. Because why? Because we talked about the therapeutic methods are speaking to the body and the mind. 
But this says, it doesn't matter what the body and mind say, whether it's favorable or unfavorable, whether it's convenient or, unconven- or inconvenient, whether it's welcome or unwelcome, you convince, you rebuke, you correct, you warn, you urge, you encourage, and you be unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. That doesn't sound like therapeutic methods. That sounds like the truth confronting the issues that are at the heart of the matter. So why do so many churches or Christians allow this demon to tend to them? The answer is the pleasing of the flesh rather than having a true relationship with God. That's what it all boils down to. This is the height of religiosity that is manipulated to not recognize the need to change by this same demon. So when you have this, you don't want to change already, and you apply these therapeutic methods, you apply these therapeutic goals of this demon, then you're all of a sudden like, what? There's no need for me to change. Because I don't have to focus on the blood of Jesus. I don't have to focus on being clean and holy. I don't have to focus on giving tithes and offerings. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. I can just be nice, happy, and believe God exists. (laughs) When accommodations are made, it is easier to not face the truth and deceive oneself as being in right standing with God. May Christians face the truth of God, make the necessary changes, And not accommodate themselves, but accommodate the Spirit of God to have a true walk with God. Amen.